This is Joshua Bell with The Kilt and the Cloth. This was my sermon from October 10th, 2021, entitled The Struggle is Real. I hope you enjoy, and God bless. My scripture this morning is taken from Hebrews chapter 4, verses 10 through 16, I think, 12 through 16. If you'd like to follow along as I read aloud, it's found in your pew Bibles on page 205 where it's on the screen. Indeed, the Word of God is a, a living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joints from marrow. It is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden. But all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one to whom we must render an account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. May God bless the reading of God's holy scripture. Amen. It's important for us to understand that this letter being written to the Hebrews is a lesson that teaches that God knows all of our failings and understands all of our struggles and that Christ reveals to us that we need not to hide from God in shame. And we can draw near to receive mercy. Ultimately, the hardest part about being a Christian is the, the true journey, right? To search for God is to discover ourselves. To be searched and to be known by God in deep ways. Now, remember that God knows every single hair on your head. Every little freckle. Every little aspect about who you are. God knows every single microscopic cell inside of your body. And yet, even then, we still struggle with the understanding that God is there with us. So the writer here is trying to give us an understanding that's saying that this word of God has become incarnate in Christ. Now, this is a different theology than you would see in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but in the Gospel of John, sure, there's this language of how Jesus becomes the incarnate self of God. And why is Jesus here? To help us discern our true selves, who we are as human beings. But it's not a searching of us that is accusatory in nature. It's not, listen, you're horrible human beings. It starts off with the basic idea that you are a child of God and found beautiful in that moment left that out in the 815th service. I wish I'd have said that. But the writer here in Hebrews says, we need somebody to help us in that path. And, 
and, and they're going to use a word. And I, and I want to spend a little bit of time talking about it. He talks about Jesus as a priest. Now, all of us in here claim to be Protestants. So the word priest to us automatically puts up red flags. But you need to understand that it's not the way that we think. In the Hebrew culture, priests were something that started at, a, at an early age. I mean, I'm talking like five, six years old and are raised their entire life to, be, to a point where they felt that they were doing what they were appointed by God to do. You understand what I mean by that? It's, it's a lifelong journey. In the Hebrew culture, it was not in, unheard of to think of the priest being the only person that could hear the voice of God on behalf of Israel. It was the priests in the Hebrew culture that performed the offerings, the burnt offerings, in order for your sins to be forgiven. It was the high priest that then would take those burnt offerings and those ashes and bring it into the Holy of Holies at that one time of the year where God would then come and take all of the sins of Israel and they started out with a clean slate every day, every time from that point on. Priests in the Roman Catholic understanding have a very similar lifestyle. Would you agree? From an early age, they're brought up to believe and understand that this is not a journey that everyone's going to take. And this is their mission in life. So for, for them, a priest is a high, a high standard. So it makes sense then that the writer here in Hebrew is now saying that Christ's priestly ministry provides us access to the very grace and mercy of God. Because Jesus becomes that our high priest. So for Protestants, that's where Jesus' role goes. We always say it, right? Jesus is the atonement of our sin. Jesus is the image of who we need to be. And my favorite part about this is, is that the writer says, oh, and he grew up just like us. In, the, in the, the back of my cynical brain, I'm like, yeah, but did he? Right? Like, because you know that he was Mary's favorite. He didn't do anything wrong. You know his brothers and sisters are like always looking at him going, yeah, there's that Jesus guy. He never does anything wrong. But the writer here is wanting you to understand that somehow he was just like us. He just was without sin. As if that's super easy to do. But listen to how it says it. In that moment, in that place, why is Jesus so important for us? It's in those times of need. Every day. Every moment, Jesus becomes our direct access to God. You notice that there was a theme in my prayer, I hope, about talking about angels. I don't know why Protestants are so uncomfortable talking about angels. We talk about them in the Bible. They're in there. And, but the big stories that we all know are not. They're in the book of Enoch. That's another story for another day. But the point is, angels for us are uncomfortable. Because we don't know how to talk about them. There's been lots of books written, written about them and, and how this all works. But really, the, the most important part for me is, is that if we were to go to the Hebrew word for this, it would be the word melech, which means a messenger of God. 
So for the Jews, there could be people, angels among us, right? There are many of you that I look out in the audience this morning that could be messengers of God, that could feel in the role of a melech. And if you go into the New Testament understanding in the Greek, the evangelion, the, the, the voice of God, you now are in those same roles. So I don't have a problem with this language. And how Jesus is elevating that because this writer has this theology that in order for this to make sense, if Jesus is our priest, then the words that he has are the words directly from God. And therefore we should listen. And they're not going to be comfortable. They're going to challenge us. Which is why he says, in the help of time of need. At this moment, the writer, we might, the reader might infer that the writer simply wants to make a, a qualitative statement about Scripture, like the Word of God. The Bible is the only way. Yet, if you look at it deeper, it moves us to understand that there's a more understanding profound understanding of the word logos that the writer is describing the voice of God that is fully and finally enfleshed in the actualized Jesus Christ this writer proclaims that the word which God utters is so powerful that it can slice through layers and universes to reveal all and everything that lies concealed it's in that moment where he says the word of God is not just a theological statement uttered as some self-expressed view of the writer, but the statement the word of God is a living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. And we all understand that, right? We all know that words can cut us deeper than any type of weapon. They stick on us like just like some sort of rash that just continues to grow or some sort of crazy cancer that has metastasized. It can turn us into bitter, horrible human beings, or it can just sit there and make us feel as though we're never good enough in God's eyes. And then God, who still speaks, and that word becomes inescapably valid. This idea that Jesus' words are not to take away life, but to create it. How have words ever pierced you? I mean, that is the words spoken by like a family, friend, or a member, a colleague. What were those impacts of those words? Did they cause pain? Were they healing words, or did they confront or challenge? If you identify the word logos in Hebrews with Jesus as the final word uttered by God, and be, then it becomes superior to all of the previous prophetic words up till that point. <coughs> so if we consider that, that Jesus is now our priest and prophet, then all of a sudden God's word is as embodied in and by Jesus. What does that mean for us? God's not asking you all to be the high priest. Jesus has that role. But you get to be followers of that person. You become the direct reflection of those words. 
Think about that for a second. You are the Word of God. Jesus is the one we're supposed to follow. He gives us non-anxious words. Like, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your enemy. Ah, those aren't non-anxious, right? Thanks a lot, Jesus. It's hard for us to come up with this idea because the struggle is real. As human beings, we struggle with the understanding of hearing the words of God. And we also struggle with speaking them. In the 815 service, I was talking with them specifically about the idea of how we struggle with this. It's, it's one of those things that if we find all of our love and compassion and peace and, and understanding through Jesus Christ, then why is it so hard for us to invite people to feel the same to come with us to this place? Have you ever wondered about that? Our world has gotten to the point where we're uncomfortable to invite people to a place of sanctuary. Because we don't want to be those people. I don't know what that means, but we get uncomfortable with it. I do the same thing, like we talked about last week. What is it that you do? Well, I work with a lot of people. Our words matter. We can bring God's love or we can take it away. So many times the church has struggled with what I refer to as ecclesiastical brain damage. That we say the things that we think everybody needs to hear, and we do a lot of this. Right? When you see a preacher doing this, it's time for you to leave. Because this person has elevated themselves above you. When we speak the words of God, world, worlds are changed. The world that we find ourselves in, and people's lives are changed. And the struggle is real. Nobody said being a Christian was easy. God speaks to us throughout history in the Hebrew Bible through prophets. God's word created the example, the, the whole existence. God's word becomes completely created in a human being named as Jesus. What word is God saying to us through this word? Not through words, but through actions. And the words in the life of Jesus as recorded in the Synoptic Gospels. It reminds me of where actions take place over words. When I was in seminary, we, we were made to go on field trips. I say that because when you're in a group of ministers, we all know everything. And so going on field trips were kind of like, why should we go here? We already know everything about this. And then they would say, you just need to go. And you'd, and you'd say, it, and we'd say, is it a part of our grade? And what do they say? Yes, so you go. And there's this community right north of Tulsa called Turley, which is now an incorporated section of Tulsa. It was created shortly after the Tulsa race riot. And yes, most of the residents there were black. Now, this was a community that had its own grocery stores, it had its own gas station, it had its own post office, according to the you know, state 
constitution, in order to have a city, you have to have a post office. That's important, right? And over time, Turley, uh, all the residents of Turley did not have cars. They rode public transportation that would come and pick them up and bring them into North Tulsa to get their groceries and then bring them back. But over time, that community of older folks ended up starting to kind of wane away, but there's still, there were still 50 people there. And they didn't have the funds to be able to get up and move. This was their home. They built it with their bare hands. Does this sound familiar? One day, a man came into this, I would say, village, right north of Tulsa, and found out that there are these people living here that nobody remembered that were still there. These people would walk five, seven miles to a gas station just to pick up their groceries. Public transportation had stopped coming out there. There was no longer a post office, but there were people that were still living there. So this man came to them and said, what is it that I can do to help you? What is it that you would want or need? And what do you think the first thing they said was? Nothing. We're fine. Thank you. Well, where do you get your food? Well, eventually somebody comes and brings us something. Or eventually one of us gets enough energy to walk down to North Tulsa to go pick it up. These were seasoned adults, you see. And what ends up happening is, is this person decides, well, what is it that we can do for each other to take care of one another? And so one says, well, I've got a couple donkeys. And this other one says, I can build a plow. So they build a community garden. And then this person brings in people to come help them create a garden that was low maintenance, that they could get up and around, that was wheelchair accessible, and that would give them vegetables that would make sure that they were completely taken care of, full of protein, you know, like beets. <laughs> I mean, it's a beet, but they ate them. Yeah, I mean, I pray for you, Travis, that like beets. I know a lot of you do too, but I, that's not my favorite. They're, they're for some people, not me. But, but they taught them how to make these things, and they start to take care of themselves. And, and the word gets around that people are seeing that Turley is coming up with new life, and people are, Oprah Winfrey finds out that they have created this garden together as a community, and they're serving not just themselves, but people, strangers that find themselves lost, landing in Turley, and they're feeding them. And I did not walk away hungry after eating the food that they provided for us. And Oprah thinks it's great, so she provides an orchard so that they can have fresh fruit. And all of a sudden, Turley is alive for 50 people. And all it took was one person saying, what is it that I can do for you? What is it that you want and need? You see, these are words that take place stronger than words. That's where you become the representation of Christ. You get to spread the word of God by your actions as well as your words. You see, God demonstrates this through the communication of love, in the ways of forgiveness, in places of healing, and ultimately empowerment through Jesus' earthly journey. So what is the word that Jesus has, God, 
spoken to us. Well, I don't know what it is for you. That's something that you have to answer for yourself by taking this journey together. But if you listen, it'll be a place where words take, give way to the word. And the struggle will be real, but you're not alone. When we do these things, we do these things for the glory of God. Led by our high priest, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.